Brandon, can you turn it up? Okay, there we go. Okay, so um, Ernesto and Angie are off having a couple days just with the two of them. And uh, so it fell on me. Um, didn't fall. I'm, I'm, I want to preach. We're in First Samuel this week. And originally we wanted to cover chapter 3, which is the call of Samuel. But as I kept reading through, one of the things when I do my study is I, I literally I'll read the whole book to, to get a feel for the whole book. And as I kept doing that in chapter 1, I just kept coming back to Hannah. And it, it's a great story and it's a great example. And so I asked Ernesto, I'm like, I really want to do Hannah. And he said, so do Hannah. So we switched it up and uh, we're going to look at Hannah's life today. And there's some great things to pull out of it and some great examples to follow. The, the backdrop of 1 Samuel, it comes after Judges, it comes after Ruth. So it's still part of the time of the Judges. And in fact, Samuel, uh, he held multiple positions as he grew older. He was a judge. He was a seer. A seer is someone that can see things in the future or can answer questions. Uh, you'll read next week about Saul. His dad gets some, sends him out to find some donkeys that are missing, and they can't find them. So Saul's solution was, I'm going to go see Samuel, because Samuel can tell me where the donkeys are. So one of his other positions was as a seer. He was a prophet that we know. And he, um, oh, I can't think of the last one now. Um, but he held multiple positions. And with Hannah, as we're going to read here in a minute, if she hadn't been the person that she was, and if she hadn't done the things that she did, then Samuel may not have been born, and God would have still done his plan through somebody else, but it wouldn't have been Samuel. So we're in the time of the judges, and in the time of the judges, what do we know more from reading that? Man did what was right in their own eyes. Even the very last verse of the last chapter says again that Israel did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. So there probably weren't a lot of people that were running uh, around following God, um, wanting to, and, and displaying their faith. But we have this one family here in 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, I'm going to start in chapter 2. We have a man named Elkanah, and he has two wives. So starting in verse 2, it says, He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So most of the time in the Old Testament, when we hear a story, and it's a story about a man and he has two wives, it typically doesn't go well. There's usually conflict. There's usually something that happens almost all the time. And in this case, you know, some believe the general feeling is that Hannah could not conceive that she was barren. And because she was barren, that Elkanah took a second wife so that he could have sons and daughters, which is, was really important back in that time period. Because in that time period, your sons let you keep your property as the father passed. Let them have political rights and says, and if there wasn't anybody, 
then all of that is just forfeit and lost. So sons were really important to have back in this time period. So Hannah was barren. And we're, we're going to read on verse 3. Now this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from the, his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So something I, I want to stop here. It was the man's responsibility to go once a year to Shiloh to sacrifice. Women didn't have to go. Um, they wanted to go, though. Hannah, with her faith, she wanted to be a part of that. She wanted to be a part of worshiping and praising God and celebrating and, and participating in the burnt offering and, and eating from the burnt offering. She wanted to do those things because of her faith. So we're going to read on. Uh, verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So we, we read here and we understand that she's not having kids because God has closed her womb. But we also start to see some of the struggle, right? Hannah doesn't have any kids. Peninnah has lots of kids. Elkanah says right here that he loves Hannah, but it doesn't say that about Peninnah. So I, I think from here we can see the struggle, that Peninnah was jealous because she wasn't loved the way that Hannah was, and Hannah wanted kids badly and couldn't have them. So the conflict begins, I think, right there. So we're going to read on. Verse 6. And her rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. So year by year. It, it says that, that Peninnah had ten sons and some daughters. So that means that Hannah's been doing this for probably at least 10 years, going up and, and getting provoked, you know, saying things. I don't know, I'm not saying that she said it, but, you know, you don't have kids, I have kids, look at how many kids I have. Things like that, that, that would just really get under someone's skin, right? So she... Hannah, instead, you know, she's, she's not retaliating. She's not trying to get her back. She's not trying to be vengeful. And I had a video that I wanted to play, but I couldn't get it to a format where I could play it working with our pro presenter exactly the way it is. So I'm going to tell you about it. Because I want to talk about this part here about uh, reactions to when someone is antagonizing you and is after you and is relentless like Panina is here. So it's from Fried Green Tomatoes. It's a movie. Um, there's a, a car scene in it where um, Kathy Bates is in a shopping mall plaza and she's trying to park her car and she sees this gentleman that's going to back out and she puts on her blinker. So she's waiting for this car to pull out and as soon as the car pulls out and starts to go, these two young ladies in a, 
a Volkswagen Beetle fly into the spot and take her spot. And she's just beside herself, right? So the two young ladies get out of the car, and as it comes around to where her window's open, she says, hey, I have been waiting for that spot. And the one lady says, tough luck. And the other lady says, we're younger and faster. And they laugh and they go in. And then it just shows her face, okay? She's thinking about what she wants to do. And then it shows her hands, and she's gripping the steering wheel. And then she says this word, Tawanda, which is almost like an alter ego for her that she does things she normally wouldn't do as her own person. And she floors the gas and plows right into the back of that VW. And she's laughing, and she backs up, and she does it again. She does it four times. And finally, after the fourth time, the two young girls come running out, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And she says, sorry, girls. I'm richer and have more insurance. And she drives away. She got her vengeance, right? And that's, that's the, our instinct is to do that, right? Our flesh wants to do that. But Hannah didn't do that here. Hannah never spoke back at her, tried to get her back. She just kept doing her thing, right? Christians, that's how we're supposed to be, right? When, when we come through those situations, we're not supposed to react. We're not supposed to get them back. We're supposed to just stay the course. And Hannah's an example of that here, right? So, so starting with verse 8, so Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So that's how we learn that Peninnah has ten sons. So he's trying to, in his mind, do a good thing, right, and to try to make his wife feel better. Um, but it doesn't work. So starting with verse 9 that we started reading earlier. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah arose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply depressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So we just talked about reactions to people provoking you and antagonizing you. And Hannah here, she didn't, she prayed for a son. She didn't pray for vengeance. She didn't pray for the Lord to stop her from doing that. She, she prays for a son. And it's, it's another picture of Hannah with her life. And the second part of this, when she does this, is Hannah gave to God what she couldn't fix or take care of, right? And that's a big thing uh, for us today. When you're going through something and you're bouncing your head against the wall trying to fix it and it's not working, try God, you know? It's, this, is, this is a pure example from Hannah, and it's, it's why I love this story so much because she doesn't fall out of her character. She stays there, 
and she prays for nothing to take care of the circumstance, but to have a son. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So we read on. Verse 11. And she vowed, well, I already read verse 11. Okay. Um, starting with verse 12. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. But Hannah said, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So Penina has bothered her enough to the point to where she had anxiety and she was stressed out, right? So again, this beautiful picture, she goes and she just lays it at God's feet and says, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. She, she vowed that vow. When Eli realized this, he answered and he said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you your, your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So there's some cool stuff here. And she's happy. Why is she happy? She knows that God has responded. She knows that there could be brighter days ahead. So she was happy for the first time going there in a while. So Eli grants her prayer in verse 17. In verse 19, it says, uh, well, I'm not going to read it, but Samuel is born, and it says God opened her womb. So we see God had her womb closed. God heard her prayer and opened her womb, and she was able to conceive Samuel. And then at the end of verse 28, which we'll come to in a little bit, Samuel is given to the Lord. But there's something that I want you to see through Hannah praying. And it's something that, that we need to talk about and we need to understand and, and not think about it anymore. And that is simply this. Point one is God actively hears and answers prayer. You know, there's, there's beliefs out there, there's, there's deism, and they kind of believe that God just created everything and his hands are just off. And everything just kind of goes its way and, and takes its place and, and, and it just happens. But the Bible is clear and it shows that that's not what happens. All the way from when Adam and Eve are created in the book of Genesis, what happens there? At night, God would walk through the garden and talk with Adam and Eve, right? God wanted that relationship with us. That's not a hands-off God. That's, he was right there, right? And we see with Hannah, we see in this story, God is there again. He hears her prayer. He opens her womb, and she's able to conceive a baby. That's not a hands-off God. That's, that's not deism. That is literally... God working right then and there in Hannah's life, right? 
if we go to the New Testament, say, okay, well, maybe that just happened before Jesus, right? We look at the Apostle Paul, who was previously named Saul. And when his name was Saul, he was running around as the, the head of the group trying to find Jews that have converted to being Christians and persecute them. And Jesus stops him on the Damascus Road, right? Blinds him. And Paul ends up converting and going all over the world, spreading the gospel and writing a huge portion of the New Testament. If, if there's a God and he just is letting things go, how does that happen? It doesn't. That's a God with his hands on. That's a God that spoke directly to Paul and, and look what happened from that. So then if you want to come to today, I'm going to give you a silly example. Okay, so before, some of you all might be young enough to where you won't even understand, but before there were smartphones, before there were TomToms for navigation, I worked for a communications company driving all over Michigan to do repair work. And for me to find a business... I had to go into gas stations and buy maps. Literally maps. Maybe you've seen some in an old movie, but there's some better ones that you could buy. And, and I would literally have to do that to see where I was going. Where I was going to this new business on the east side um, over by 14 Mile and Van Dyke. And I'm looking at the road, and, and I look, and that's the road I was supposed to turn on. And I'm, I'm you know, doing that little pier, and as I come back, I'm headed for a light that's red, and I'm doing the full speed limit, and there's a police officer sitting literally in the next lane. And so I have to make a decision. I'm either going to have to slam on my brakes, which I would have to slam on my brakes to stop in front of that light, or I can do something a little bit more safe, and I can put on my brakes and knowingly go through the light. I made that choice. So... I put on my brakes. I went through the light. I, I was going to get pulled over either way. I was going to get reckless drive. I, I knew I was getting pulled over. So sure enough, he flips on his lights, goes right through the red light, turn into the first place I can turn in off the road. I roll down my window, and I'm waiting for him to come up. And when he comes up, he just starts yelling at me. I mean, he's yelling at me hard. His face is all red. His veins are coming out of his neck. What are you doing? You saw me sitting there. Why would you? And I explained to him, you know, what was going on. I'm like, I either had to lock up my brakes really hard or I had to, there was nowhere, there was no other online lanes coming the other direction. There were train tracks. So going through, I wasn't, you know, making someone try to hit me or have to stop their brakes or anything like that. So this was early in Sarah and I's marriage. We weren't even able to save a penny. We were living week to week. We were eating macaroni and cheese and peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, we were just starting out. It was, and to get this ticket, like, that would have hurt. It would have hurt bad. And when he took my license registration and started going back to the car, I started praying to the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, please help me. I can't afford this ticket. This, this will be really hard on us. And I was praying and praying. About 10 minutes later, he gets out of his car and he comes back and he is a completely different person. His face isn't red. There's no veins popping out. 
he's talking to me politely, and he gives me back my license and registration, no ticket, and says, drive safer, and goes away. And you can think that's silly, and maybe that would have happened, but I really believe if I had not prayed at that moment, and if I had not done that, I'd have been walking away with a ticket. You know, but God heard. So that's one example. Another example, harder example to talk about, uh, my mom uh, got to a point with her health to where she was not safe to be at home. Uh, she was falling, breaking ribs, and we had a talk as a family. Cullen and Owen were two, one, maybe three and two, somewhere in there. They were young, and talked with Sarah, talked with my family, and we decided that we were going to move my mom into our house uh, and help take care of her. And if you talk to me about that time and talk to Sarah about that time, you will get two completely different stories. Um, for me, I loved it. Uh, for me, it, it was a time of my mom getting to spend time with the boys, getting to eat at a dinner table as a family. Uh, we came from a really super small house where most of the time we were sitting on a couch or a chair and a, uh, uh, what, what's the TV stands, t TV trays to eat your TV dinners on. And uh, we, we didn't have a lot of family time at a table. So I loved this time. But I was also working a job to where it was nothing to get up to 20 hours of overtime a week with this communications company. So I was gone a lot. When I was home, my mom was really nice. And as soon as I left, she wasn't so nice. And made it really hard on Sarah. And my mom kept getting worse as well. And it also made it to where it was harder for Sarah to take care of two boys and my mom. And it all built up to a point. And she couldn't handle it anymore. And I talked with my older sister. And she was going to take my mom and let her live with them but they have a colonial house. If you know anything about a colonial house, all the bedrooms are on the second floor. So they had to get a chairlift put in, and that was going to take a couple weeks. And Sarah had just had it, and she, she wasn't wrong. And she came to me, and she talked to me, and she was literally going to take the boys and go live at her mom's until this was settled. And it had me really worried. I, I didn't want the family to be broken up, I was afraid maybe it wouldn't come back together. And there was nothing I could do, just like Hannah. Hannah was in this situation. She couldn't fix it herself. I couldn't fix the situation myself. My mom was going to be there for two weeks no matter what. So I started praying. I started praying hard as I'm working and driving around. And I'm just asking the Lord to keep our family together and, and for her to not leave. And the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to go and talk see if she would go and talk with a pastor, uh, Pastor Woody at River Waterford. And Sarah agreed. And we went there and had the talk. And even though he understood what she was going through and how hard it was, uh, it was two weeks, and the end of the tunnel was the end of those two weeks. And he made the recommendation for Sarah to stick it out, and she did. So... Sorry. So to say that the Lord doesn't work in our lives, he does. And he does it through prayer. 
and he answered that prayer. So I want you guys to see that. So when you get into those spots, when, when you need that help, you pray and you go there and he's there. And it doesn't mean you're going to get your answer right away, right? The, the, First Samuel says that Hannah went year after year and Peninnah had 10 sons. So this wasn't quick. She was going year after year. She was praying. She was asking for this. And then it finally happened, right? So don't give up. Keep doing it. So that's the first thing that I just really want us to see from this passage. And, and I hope that that encourages some of you uh, to go there um, when you're going through some things. Point two that I want to bring up is Hannah's faith. I titled the sermon, Hannah, Faith and Obedience. Because of Hannah's faith, and faith for all of us, it allows God to work in our life, right? And like we were talking about, she went every year, year after year, even though men were the only ones that had to go. She could have the second, third year, the fourth year, said, you know what, Elkanah, I'm done with the Penina situation. I'm just going to stay home. But she didn't do that because she loved the Lord, and she wanted to be there for that. And she kept going, right? She went even though she faced that ridicule year after year after year, right? And then in verse 10, she prays to the Lord God Almighty. She keeps going and she keeps asking. She keeps trusting that the Lord can do that in her life, that she can help fix he can help fix what she needs in her life. And then one of my favorite things, and she does it two times, she calls herself God's servant. She does it when she's praying, and she does it when she's talking to Eli. So we can see her faith, and we can see her faith in action. And it's, it's just it's beautiful to see an example that when we're struggling, and maybe we're, we're even struggling with just not following and doing what we're supposed to do, we can come read this passage and, and we can get encouragement from that. Um, so that's the second thing that I just really wanted us to see was the faith that Hannah had. The other thing that Hannah's faith allowed her to do and what she does is it allows her to fall in obedience to the vow that she made to the Lord, Right? In Deuteronomy, it says when you make a vow that you should complete it quickly because to not complete it is worse than making the vow to begin with, right? So in verse 28, Hannah follows in obedience, and it says, Hannah says, Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And Samuel is the he, worship the Lord there. So she follows in obedience to her vow, her only son. She's faced all this ridicule for all this time. She finally gets a son. She has her son, and she gives him to the Lord, right? If you read from where I didn't, from uh, verse 19 through to verse 28, you'll see that Hannah kept him only long enough to wean him so that when she took him to Eli, that he didn't have all the hard work 
of what a mom has to do with a baby, that he was able to walk and eat himself and, and do those kinds of things. So um, I looked up in some other things, and that, that's probably somewhere around the age of three that Samuel was taken there, right? But there's more, right? Because the other thing that comes with faith and following and obedience like she did is point number four, and this is the last point that I'll make today on this that I want us to see, and that is that God blesses obedience, right? So I haven't read any of this to this point, but in chapter 2 of First Samuel, in verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Eli, this is them continually going to Shiloh year after year. So on one of these future years, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked for the, of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. How's that for a blessing? She gave Samuel to the Lord. The Lord gave her five more kids, right? Kids that could carry on all the duties of men in Israel. But the other thing that happens here that it doesn't really say, but that we know from reading all of this, every year now, after Samuel was given over to the Lord, every year that Hannah went to this yearly burnt offering sacrifice to the Lord, it wasn't an unhappy one anymore. She got to go and praise and worship the Lord, celebrate, see her son, right? Samuel. Every year she made him, if you read uh, through some of this that I, that I haven't covered, she makes him a new robe every year. Gets to see her son. It's a joyous time. So what was bad, right, is now happy. And that's what we can do when we follow Hannah's example here. We can take some of these times in our lives and they can be flipped and they can be turned around. And that's what I wanted us to see today. Hannah's an example to follow in faith. She's an example to follow in prayer, in obedience, and how to treat others. All of it. She's, she's a great example to follow. So when I read this, she, she just really grabbed me. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys today. So let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Hannah's life, Lord, and for her example, Lord, and for things that we can turn to and read and follow uh, when we're having hard times in our own lives, Lord, that, that we lay it at your footsteps, Lord, and that we trust that you will hear our prayers and, and that you will answer them. May not always be a yes. It may not be a no. It may be a wait like Hannah with over 10 years of, of praying for Samuel, Lord. But we keep that faith and we keep that trust and we do this, Lord. Thank you for this example, Lord, and thank you for what we've learned today from this, Lord. And I just hope it encourages somebody and uh, we're able to apply this to our lives, Lord.
We ask all this in your sweet and precious name. Amen.